0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom Talks. Uh, today, uh, it's a pleasure to be joined by Molly Ripberg, who is a physical therapist at Freedom Physical Therapy. She's uh, certified in LSVT Big uh, for treating patients with Parkinson's disease. And uh, on us with on with us as well is Jeremy Ott. He is the director of outreach and education for the Wisconsin Parkinson's Association. Uh, Jeremy and Molly, how are you doing?
1: Good. Very good. Thanks for having us.
0: Perfect. Um, so. Jeremy, uh, Molly's on the, the show a lot so uh, our audience knows who Molly is most mostly and so uh, if we could kind of get a little background on you there wasn't a ton of information on the on the website about yourself so just specifically if you could give us what you do for the Wisconsin Parkinson's Association what your role is uh, and maybe a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into that position what led you there.
1: Yeah, well, Brady, I'm the uh, Director of Outreach and Education. I've been with uh, Wisconsin Parkinson Association for eight years now. Um, And my main role is I handle all the outreach and education. If you call us and have questions, nine times out of ten, you're going to get me. I'm excited to say, you know, when I started eight years ago, we did about two or three programs a year, mainly in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, Before COVID, we did 11 programs um, from everywhere from Milwaukee to Door County to Eau Claire and everywhere in between we've really grown our programs and our capabilities. And we've really done that in a slow, steady process, knowing that there's so many people in the state with Parkinson's disease, it has allowed us to expand what we do in, in our outreach. Uh, a little bit about myself, I'm, I'm a lacrosse graduate. I got a community health education degree, and I've been fortunate to work within the nonprofit community for going on 20, 20 plus years, we'll say. Um, I've worked with the American Lung Association, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, the National MS Society. And then, like I said, I've been with Wisconsin Parkinson Association now for eight years. And the number one question I usually get, Brady, is, you know, what brought you here? You know, was there a family connection or was there a reason? And as I always tell people, I wish I had this great altruistic story that just, you know, warms your heart. Uh, the reality was I was looking for a job. They offered one. Um, it worked out very well for me. And in that time I have met hundreds, if not thousands of people with Parkinson disease, um, do not have a family history of Parkinson disease. Uh, but again, like I said, I've just really built a lot of relationships with people over the years and has become a real passion of mine as I've been here as long as I have.
0: Ultimately, I guess, uh, results speak for themselves and I guess it doesn't really matter. You know, it sounds like you're uh, reaching a lot of people, touching a lot of lives. doesn't matter if you have a Huge family connection. As long as you grew into the role and, and you like and you're passionate about what you're doing, I guess, right?
1: Absolutely. I, it, you, you can't you can't fake passion. You know. Yeah. Um, you can know something about the disease, but you may know just a very small portion through a family history. Whereas having a passion and I guess and having done community health and doing education for through college and into now, it, it's just a passion of mine. And uh, the WPA has really allowed me to grow that passion and reach a lot of people that uh, need our services. And it's been really rewarding to do that.
0: Yeah. Just to uh, kind of build a foundation for whoever's listening, um, Molly and and Jeremy, if you want to jump in, could you guys just quickly explain briefly what Parkinson's disease is and um, you know, what part of the brain it's it's affecting and why you see some of the tremors and, and some of those symptoms like that. If we could just get a little bit of an explanation for that.
1: I'll defer to you, Molly. I'll
2: let you talk about that. Yep. So um, Parkinson's disease is a progressive nervous system disorder um, that typically affects movement. Um, Symptoms typically start gradually. A lot of times people, it's barely noticeable in the beginning um, and usually starts as a tremor, um, maybe a a slowing down of movement um, that kind of, slowly progresses over time to a point where it's it, it finally, um, is noticeable enough that family members or friends start to take notice. Um, it is, um, different for every person. So there's no kind of standard, like, you know, if you have this or this test or what, like you have Parkinson's disease, um, typically for a true diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, um, you have to have, um, two of the three, so bradykinesia, tremor, or rigidity. Um, bradykinesia basically is just a slowing down um, of movement over time, um, making simple tasks difficult and time-consuming. Um, as far as in the physical therapy world what or, and just therapy world in general, um, typically what we end up first noticing Um, is usually a family member will say, like, I can't read their handwriting anymore. Um, They have a hard time um, walking or like their walking doesn't look normal like it used to. Um, Most of the time, um, we try to catch those patients early on um, and get them started in moving. But, um, you know, it's basically... Uh, And it's not just, um, we see it in other neurological disorders as well.
1: I'll jump in, Molly. I think one of the important things you talked about is the symptoms. Um, For people who are new to Parkinson's disease, there's no medical test. There's no blood test or x-ray that's going to say this is Parkinson's disease. They're going to look within a clinical exam looking for that slowness of movement, that, that resting tremor, or that rigidity like you talked about. Um, and I think you also said really well. It's a slow progression. A lot of times, we will see the non-motor symptoms will show up, and you, you hit on them: the, the slow writing or the, the poor handwriting,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, loss of sense of smell, maybe some urinary or um, other incontinence issues. All of those things kind of add up, and then the tremor kind of kicks in. And it's really hard for somebody who's new. Is a lot of the Parkinson symptoms look like normal aging. You know. Yes. So it, it's really hard to discern, is this Parkinson's disease or is it just, I'm getting older? And I think you hit it right on the head, Molly, what we see, it's oftentimes the care partner, the loved one who sees them and says, I'm seeing this. I'm see-. When you walk, there's no arm swing on one side. Those are all things that kind of lead you to this, maybe a Parkinson diagnosis. So it, it, it's, it's a lot of things, um, but I think those three cardinal symptoms you talked about, they're looking for two of those. Um, and I do think a really important one, and I'm sure you see it, Molly, the resting tremor. I think yes. a lot of people confuse, you know, when I, when I pick up a glass of water and my hands are shaking, that's not resting tremor. Resting tremor oftentimes is you and I are talking your hands on the table and that hand gets a slow, steady tremor going on. And I think people, unfortunately they see Michael J. Fox and say, well, that's, that's a tremor. His is actually a very different issue is he has Parkinson's disease, but his is more of a dyskinetic movement where it's very herky-jerky, whereas a tremor is very rhythmic and slow usually.
2: Exactly. Um, And then Brady, just to touch upon too, like in Parkinson's disease, um, certain nerves or neurons in the brain gradually break down or die. And a lot of um, the symptoms are due to this loss of neurons that produce a chemical messenger in your brain called dopamine. Um, And when dopamine levels decrease and get to a certain level, um, it causes abnormal brain activity leading to a lot of the symptoms that we see with Parkinson's disease. Um, You know, it's one of those things that I'm sure, Jeremy, you get asked and I get asked like, well, what caused this? You know, like, did did I do something? Like, you know, no one else in my family has it. Like, why, kind of why me? Like, why why did this happen? Um, And it's kind of the hardest part because We don't really know still as to, you know, exactly what causes that kind of reaction to occur in the brains that causes those neurons to to eventually die out.
1: Exactly, Molly, I get that question all the time. And, you know, there is some studies that uh, certain pesticides that were used in the 70s and 80s, being exposed to them may cause higher incidences. Um, There are some studies going on with long term exposure to well water. There may be some areas, um, the Michael J. Fox Foundation is doing studies on specific genes that seem very common within Parkinson's disease. Uh, But even they will admit that they they may find one gene that's very common in a select group of people. And then we have another group who have the exact same gene problem and none of them have Parkinson's symptoms. Um, The other thing I always tell people is when they talk about family history, it's not hereditary. As far as we know right now, there is no um, hereditary component. If you have a loved one with Parkinson's, your your risk is slightly higher than those who don't, Um, but it's not a significant number. That if mom has it, you're obviously going to have it. Um, But for those who tell me like, "Hey, you know, nobody in our family ever had it," Parkinson's disease primarily is a disease of people 65 and older, 62 and older. We are seeing it showing up younger. You know, 50. Um, I know a young lady at 19 who was diagnosed. So it does happen. But the one thing I always tell people is if you look at in the last 30 years, the life expectancy has gone up. So if it's a disease that was affecting you at 62, 63, 64, and as Molly and I talked about earlier, the the signs and symptoms slowly progress, if the life expectancy was only 67, 68, 30 years ago, well, of course, nobody had it because they weren't living long enough to be diagnosed. So now that we're our life expectancy, I think the most recent numbers I saw it's like 74 for men and 77 for women it's more likely we're going to see more people with it because we're living longer. We have better medical care and the health systems are more integrated where they're more likely to see it and then report it and send you to a specialist than they were even 25, 30 years ago.
0: So, you know, obviously I don't know, I don't have a background in Parkinson's at all. Um, So just doing a little bit of research on the the WPA's website and um, just on Parkinson's in general, From what I can discern, um, kind of the the reason for existence of the Wisconsin Parkinson's Association is that um, although the medical care teams are awesome and your doctor is going to help prescribe you the uh, correct uh, medications and maybe put you on a path towards uh, certain care providers like Molly that might be able to help you out, um, there's still maybe a little bit of a gap in the resources that families dealing with Parkinson's have, and that's kind of where the Wisconsin Parkinson's Association comes in. Is that, am I kind of understanding that correct?
1: I think you hit it on the head, Brady. We're here for the education component. I think if any, anybody listening to this, if you've ever had a loved one or you yourself have been diagnosed with a chronic condition, whatever it may be, everything the doctor tells you after you have this diagnosis, it's just white noise because you're in shock. You're processing it. You're not hearing it. So we kind of fit that gap of providing resources for people newly diagnosed, providing, um, as you said, referrals to specialists and experts, and then doing uh, educational programs. Um, While the health systems are great at treating the patient, a lot of them don't have the resources or the expertise to do educational programs. They just don't have the, the nurse educators and the staff to do that. And that's where we fit in is we do that we bring the experts in, but we do all the legwork. We set up the site, we set up the location, we handle the registration, we handle having all the PowerPoints uh, printed out and things like that, so that the expert can come in, do the presentation and really provide great valuable information to that individual. And then the next speaker comes up and they don't have to worry about who's gonna feed these people and all that stuff. That's where we really come in. Um, And then one of the other roles we play along with that education that I think is really crucially important is support groups. on our website, we have over 200 support and exercise groups listed. And we oftentimes find, as, as Molly said earlier, everybody's Parkinson's disease is different. Um, the, the saying I've used for eight years is every doctor I've ever worked with tells you, if you've met one person with Parkinson's disease, you know one person with Parkinson's <laughs> disease, because the very next person you meet, their symptoms are going to be completely different and everything else. And it's no different than how I'm sure Molly treats patients. You don't have the same regime for every person because everybody's going to be a little bit different. Support groups are great that way as you can sit down and talk to them and say, well, I'm on these meds, but gee, you look so much better. What meds are you on? And you can start learning about medications, but you can also learn about, well, yeah, I, I do rock steady boxing and I go to Big and Loud, you know." and they talk about all these other programs they're doing. And it makes you realize, gee, maybe I should be doing some of those programs or maybe I should learn more about that. Um, The biggest thing we've seen this last year is by not having support groups and not having exercise groups, we've seen a great functional and cognitive decline in our constituents. Um, They're not able to go to the big program. They're not able to go to rock steady boxing. They're not able to go dancing. So we're seeing that physical decline. And then the cognitive, I've always said, is an exercise group is a support group that's active because you go there, you have that group of people that are there, they're your network, they're cheering you on and they're the reason you keep going to those classes and you have that social network. Whereas lately, you know, the last year plus, we haven't had those social outreaches. So that's another gap we really try to fill in is doing those support groups and ed- exercise groups and then the education to really provide that social networking that is so important uh, for our constituents.
2: Well, and I think, I mean, you said it really, really well, Um, you know, what we see is that, you know, especially with the LSVT big program that I help do, um, you know, we only really see them for a month and then maybe we see them, you know, for like a kind of touch up, you know, kind of booster a year later. So, you know, so it's one of those things that those support groups, those exercise groups are so important because this isn't just come and do exercise for a month. This is come and learn ways to help keep your movement going, keep your cognition going for the rest of your life. So having um, support groups, exercise groups, keeps people accountable, um, you know, and keeps them doing those exercises. Cause they know that every Tuesday and Thursday, they're going to their group and they better, you know, keep moving.
1: So and can I flip the script for a second Molly and ask you a question for those who aren't listening, can you explain the BIG program a little bit? I mean, I, obviously, I, I know about it, but if you can tell people what the BIG program is, I, I think that would be huge.
2: So um, LSVT BIG, um, one of the reasons that I, there's a lot of different programs out for Parkinson's disease, but one of the reasons I really liked um, LSVT BIG when I was kind of looking into the different programs is how individualized you can make each um program for the the Parkinson's patient who comes in. So um, LSVT-BIG basically trains people with Parkinson's disease and other neurological conditions, um, how to use their body normally. So um, it is a very intensive amplitude-based program um, that helps keep people moving in what we as non-Parkinson's people view as a normal range. Um, with Parkinson's disease, they start to move differently, um, different gestures, different actions that become smaller and slower over time. Um, we've, they find that they have trouble getting around, getting dressed, just performing those activities of everyday life. So uh, uh, basically LSVT BIG trains people to improve their motor movements um, by having them apply extra effort um, to produce bigger movements, which is actually the same size as what us normal people do. Um, so one of like the big things is like we be, we move big, um, we end big. Everything we do is big. You walk big. You swing your arms big. Um, and and basically, what the idea is that we train people to move bigger, which ends up being their, their normal. Um, and it kind of becomes ingrained in their, um, brains that like, this is the size amplitude I need to, to move at, um, to be functional.
1: And I, I would say with LSVT big, there's also a program called LSVT loud, um, which I know is usually done by a speech therapist, but I know it's one of those non-motor symptoms of Parkinson that people oftentimes miss is, unfortunately, Parkinson's quiet voice is very common. Yes. And it's one of those I always hear from the care partners. They said, you know, it's great. As we get older, our hearing gets worse. And then my partner gets Parkinson's disease and his voice gets quiet. So the conversations become great because I can't hear him and he's not talking long enough that I can't hear him anyhow. So you get a lot of what, huh, what, huh? Um, so usually doing loud and big together is great because you work on both and I've seen many big instructors that what I love is you're working on the physical, like you said, the big amplitude, you're moving big. They're also cognitively working because they're thinking about the movement. Yes. And then you're also making them talk back to you,
2: you know, yes. one,
1: two, you know, so they're being loud. So you're really incorporating a lot of things where they might think it's just physical therapy, but you're touching on the, the, the physical, the, the cognitive, and the vocal. And I think that's huge.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it, it's one of those things that we're both in the big and the loud. We're we're modulating um, their their amplitude, both of their their vocal as well as their motor movements in their body. Um, it really, I mean, they in LSVT Big, they really use the word like calibration or recalibrating. We're recalibrating the brain basically to take um, these smaller movements that their brain thinks is normal um, and recalibrating it to a big movement that looks normal to us.
0: And so, you know, my takeaway from hearing all of that and, and you mentioning the speech therapist. So now we've mentioned, you know, my, you know, medical care team that that's helping out is, you know, physical therapists, speech therapists, obviously the doctor prescribing the medications, all that. Um, are there any other care providers that we're missing that kind of make a well-rounded care team for Parkinson's?
1: That's a great question, Brady. And we always tell people, a lot of the Parkinson's clinics we work with, they provide that comprehensive care team. It's the PT, it's the OT. Um, Oftentimes a neuropsychologist, they will do some baseline to see is there, is there cognitive decline? Um, We do see cognitive decline in Parkinson's over a long period of time. Um, but it doesn't happen in everybody and I think that's a, a, a misnomer. As a lot of people think well everybody with Parkinson's is going to have dementia. The numbers don't show that. Um, it shows it's usually about 10 to 12 percent. One of the things we'll see and it kind of touches on what Molly talked about that slower processing. As you ask me a question it takes me a second or two longer to process it just like it takes me a second or two to move. Um, it's not a dementia issue it's just the way the Parkinson's is impacting them and the worst thing you can do is cut them off. So that's where the neuropsychologist really comes in it's helpful. Um, oftentimes, a nutrition a nutritionist would be very helpful in talking to them about their diet um, with the, the medication. You know, Molly mentioned it's a loss of dopamine that causes Parkinson's disease. The common medication is carbidopa-levodopa, which is a dopamine replacement. Well, if you eat too much protein within 30 minutes of taking that medication, it can really slow the absorption, which then causes your symptoms to magnify. So, a nutritionist can help you with some of that. Um, and then, you know, they're going to tell you the same thing. We always tell people better diet, you know, um, the, the U S diet, isn't the greatest diet. So add more colors, more, you know, add some fruits, add some vegetables. Um, you know, I, I had one guy once he said, well, I add color, it's red meat instead of, I'm like, well, that's not the same. <laughs> um, the nurse. And, and then I think one of the people we really overlook when we talk about the care, the care team is your care partner. Um, and, and I like care partner over, um, caregiver because it should be a partnership. So that care partner can be anybody, it can be your next door neighbor, it can be your spouse, it can be one of your children, it can be an acquaintance, it can be somebody that you trust that's gonna come to those appointments with you and they're gonna hear the things you're not hearing. So when you're talking to the doctor, you may be focused on one thing, that care partner is gonna pick up some other things that maybe you missed on. And I think if you can get all of them to work together, it becomes really important Um, And then I always tell the patient, be your best advocate. If you have a heart issue or other issues that you have another doctor who's not your Parkinson's doctor, make sure they're talking because some of the medications for blood pressure or heart disease, et cetera, can actually counteract the Parkinson's disease. And if those two doctors aren't talking, they might actually make your Parkinson's worse, which isn't going to help anything else either. So making sure there's a whole communication going within the system is very important as well.
2: Well, and I think, you know, you really said it nicely that one of the big things that I do is at least for the first week or two, I pull in that care partner um, into all of our sessions because it is so important for not only the Parkinson's patient who is doing all of the exercises and helping me figure out, you know, what functional movements they need to work on, their care partner sees them all the time and knows what they have trouble with, or they have a really hard time, you know, being able to go up the stairs or get off a seat or, you know, just some, some of that's natural aging, but it may be amplified from the Parkinson's disease. Um, So I really like to get that input. And I like that care partner part of our program, because they're sometimes the ones at home that are like, Did you do your exercises? You know, that sometimes it's, you know, they're their cheerleader um, and they make sure that they're helping themselves as much as they can.
0: So, what would you say? So, there's this very comprehensive list of, um, you know, to make up that little community that. Is going to help that individual with Parkinson's and, and getting through the process. What would you say, like, what part of that care team do you find that the Wisconsin Parkinson's Association often has to help uh, individuals find? Or is there something that's, you know, originally being overlooked in a lot of Parkinson's patients that uh, the Wisconsin uh, Parkinson's Association helps out, directs them to this part of the community more often than that?
1: That's a good question. and And really, I think it, it just like Parkinson's varies from person to person, that question was going to vary from person to person. I think um, we're starting, I always use the example of my grandparents are from a different generation, and they're from the generation of they went to the doctor and whatever the doctor said, that was gospel, and they followed that until they died or that doctor died. And I think we've gotten to a point where subsequent generations are getting a little more where, If they don't like the doctor, they don't like the responses they're getting, they don't like the care they're getting because they're going to a support group and they're seeing somebody doing way better, they're not afraid to look for a new doctor. So they'll call us and just say, hey, you know, are there doctors in the area? Who would you recommend? And whenever we do a referral, Brady, we always tell them, I'm going to give you a list. I'm going to give you four or five. I'm not going to give you one. And, And I always get the, well, if you had a doctor, which one would you go to? And I said, you know, that's, it's not a good question because I've known myself since the day I was born. I've known you since this phone call started. So I don't know your personality. I don't know what you're looking for in a provider. So oftentimes it is starting with that provider, getting a good Parkinson's doctor who you're gonna have a team with and go from there. And then it comes down to those community resources, whether it's looking for the big program, looking for an exercise program, looking for a support group, you know, getting that, that social component and that exercise component together for them. Um, And then when we do our programs, we have really focused on making sure we have sessions for the care partners, because I I think that's an area where they kind of get lost once in a while. You know, you you go to an educational program for any other disease, and it's five hours of just that disease. And it's, it's great, and you need to know that, but what are the resources for that care partner? What are the things out there for them? And we have found, you know, we get a group of care partners together, they'll start talking and realize... wait, I'm not the only one going through this. There's a room full of people who have these same concerns and issues. It really takes a load off of them. It takes a huge burden off of them and lets them know they're not alone. So I I think if if you ask me, like I said, it really varies, but we really pride ourselves on doing as much as we can for that care partner as well as the patient Um, because we're a firm believer and and I'll defer to Molly a little bit from the therapy perspective. If that care partner is not there taking care of themselves, when they get sick, nobody's there to take care of that patient. And now you're in a vicious circle that nobody's being taken care of and they're both ill. And now both of them are going to see a decline. And I'm sure from a physical therapy perspective, you see that a lot where neither one are taking the right care of themselves and now their symptoms get worse. And then there's only so much you can do for them.
2: Exactly. No, that I mean, a hundred percent. That is true. And you have to, And I think with something as complex as Parkinson's disease is, I think that, you know, there's so many facets and especially as the disease progresses and people become kind of less independent, we have to make sure that the caretakers and the care partners are also taking care of themselves. I mean, I can tell you not just with Parkinson's disease, how many people, you know, they have an aging spouse and, you know, they need help getting up from the, you know, all of a sudden their backs are being pulled out or, you know, they're they're just not able to take care of themselves. um, And their health ends up declining just as quickly as their partners who maybe has that chronic or um, progressive disease. And so um, it is, you know, in my line of work, it has been so imperative that, you know, that people get respite care, that they, um, you know, if there's other family members or friends or neighbors that can give them, you know, one afternoon off, you know, a week or whatever it is, but um, you have to, you have to take care of the caretakers as well. It's not just um, the patient with the disease.
1: And I would, I would jump in Molly is the one resource. A lot of people don't take advantage of is the aging and disability resource center in Wisconsin has an aging and disability Resource center. And a lot of them have respite grants where they can give you resources and, and grants that if you don't have family or loved ones locally, they may be able to provide resources for you to get that respite care um, because it's huge. You know, Molly just said, and I said, if you don't take care of yourself, it's only gonna make things worse and then it's gonna make it more difficult. And both of you can do the um, And the one thing I always try and tell the care partner is, you know the situation best. I literally just had a phone call with a woman two days ago who her son's in California. Is like, well, oh, mom, it's not that bad. It's like, he hasn't been home in a year. He has no idea what that in-home situation's like. So it's really important to find those resources. Um, and the ADRC also has caregiver classes and in, in, in groups as well. Um, and don't be afraid if you're a caregiver, care partner to ask. If you're talking to a physical therapist, watch how they're moving certain things. Watch how they're doing. Um, because I guarantee the way you're doing a lift and transfer is probably not the right way, um, because you've never been trained in it. Whereas most of the therapists have been, and they can show you the right way to do some of that and help reduce some of that burden for you, um, to the best of their ability.
2: Yep. And I mean, I would definitely say too, a lot of times the, the spouse or the care, um, giver doesn't want to let on that, like, they can't do something or they're having trouble doing something, you know, we only see them for a glimpse of time in the clinic. Um, Whereas at home, you know, we just don't always see their, their setup, their circumstances. Um, So the biggest thing, and it's the hardest thing for a lot of people is just to ask for help. You know, there's a lot of resources out there, therapists, and, um, you know, even just, you know, the aging, you know, there are there are places that you can find that will be able to assist, and it's there's no shame in asking for help.
0: So I think you guys mentioned that this a little bit in that short bit of conversation, but um, th- there is obviously going to be a cost for some of these services, um, and to to have some of these care teams. And I was just wondering how many individuals that you run into that might. Um, have issues coming up with the money necessary to have this like very robust team of people working on you going out of all these classes. Um, I know like a lot of these are obviously Medicare aged patients and so they're able to get help through there but is that a common issue among Parkinson's patients or um, is it not as much of a concern due to to, uh, the general age of the population dealing with Parkinson's?
1: It varies. Usually the medical care, the doctor care, et cetera, like you said, is covered by Medicare. A lot of them are, are age where Medicare is not a problem. Um, it's the the therapy, the physical therapy, the speech therapy, et cetera. Um, because of some of the changes that have been made, you know, how much they will cover within a year and things like that. That's where they get a little hung up once in a while is how can they do that? Um, and then everybody builds it a little bit differently. So, you know, if you're going to, a clinic that's doing they want you to do PT you know they want you want you to do big loud and um, OT all in the same schedule that can change how things are billed. Um, so oftentimes what I tell them is ask ahead find out what that cost is find out what your insurance is going to cover um, and then find out is there a payment plan if, if it is a problem um, unfortunately you know we don't do financial aid but it, it, it's it's not as huge of an issue as some of the other diseases I've been in that I see financially becoming a burden. Um, and I think part of the good news is, is with Parkinson's disease, carbidopa Levodopa has been out for about 55, 60 years. So it's not a very expensive drug to take. A lot of the medications we use within Parkinson's are relatively inexpensive. Now, there's some newer ones that have come out in the past five years that obviously are more expensive. Uh, but overall, the the money thing is not a huge issue, um, but it's another one of those, just like Molly mentioned, where people are afraid to ask for help. People are really hesitant to ask for financial help, oh, and, yeah. unless it, it's really a dire situation. Um, so it could be a bigger issue, Brady, than I know, but it's not one I get a ton of calls on. Uh, it, it's usually the, I, I've, I've hit my limit of physical therapy, and I need to go back, and how am I going to do that, and how am I going to pay for it becomes a bigger issue.
0: Gotcha. I
2: have a question, and it's kind of off topic but so in the united states there's about a million or so people living with parkinson's disease um what is what does the state of wisconsin look like as far as like incidents and, and statistics like that
1: yeah great question about twenty thousand people in the state of wisconsin have parkinson's disease uh we're one of the higher prevalences in the u.s right now with that number um they're all estimates there is no tracking mechanism right now um When uh, President Obama was in office, they did pass a CDC tracking for Parkinson disease, MS, and one other neurological condition that I don't remember, Um, but it hasn't been funded yet by the CDC. So we don't have a specific tracking to know specific numbers. Um, In general, we know neurological conditions are a little higher in the Midwest, um, upper Midwest than other areas. Uh, We think there may be a connection to lack of vitamin D exposure. great example is, you know, in Wisconsin, I always joke winter lasts from June 30th to July 5th or July 5th to June 30th. So that week of sun is great, Uh, but you don't get a lot of vitamin D in December, January, or February. Uh, So vitamin D exposure may be, it's more common in um, Caucasians and those of Scandinavian descent. Wisconsin seems to have a lot of both of those. So those numbers also raise, um, And then more rural areas, you know, a lot of farms, et cetera, wood, um, not wood, uh, paper mills, mines, we saw some greater areas of Parkinson's disease in those communities. So obviously Wisconsin has all of those. Uh, So our numbers are high and that's where, uh, it's a great lead in Molly, that's where WPA is so important. Being able to do that education. Um, This past year, we started an awareness campaign where we've really focused on those rural communities. Um, One of the positives of COVID was we went to a lot of virtual formats, just like we're doing today. And we did a lot of our educational programs virtually. And we heard from one of our doctors up in the Wasa area who said, I've been getting calls from my patients going, my gosh, it's the first time I've been able to join a program in five years because we can't drive anymore. So reaching those virtual uh, rural patients has been huge. And then we've really focused on um, communities of color. We found that our, our African-American and Hispanic communities just don't have the access to care for Parkinson's disease. So oftentimes it goes undiagnosed or underdiagnosed within those communities. So we're really focusing on how do we reach out to those communities to raise awareness of what that disease is so that they can find care for Parkinson's disease. Um, so we're really doing our best. And then the, the other group we've done and we kind of touched on earlier is the recently diagnosed. Um, two weeks ago, we did a week um, long seminar, um, one day a week we had a doctor talk about five different topics, very uh, important to people recently diagnosed. Basically, what is Parkinson's disease? How is it diagnosed? What are those non-motor symptoms? What are the medications? Uh, we had a neuropsychologist talk about the cognitive issues with Parkinson's disease and dealing with anxiety. And then the last one was some of the exercises you can do for somebody at home or with Parkinson's disease. Uh, so that's why you know that number is large. And we're doing our best to reach as many of them as we can across the.
0: So um, it sounds you had mentioned at the beginning of the episode that uh, COVID obviously faced a lot, you know, faces with a lot of different challenges. Um, but it does sound like you found some positives, just like I think a lot of businesses have uh, over the the last year or so, um, in being able to be a little bit more flexible. Um, so, you know, hopefully everybody getting back to being able to maybe go to some of those programs that you're starting to put on. Um, are you starting to, you know, get those classes going again, get those groups going again? And then, uh, what are you incorporating, um, you know, virtually, uh, are you going to continue to incorporate some of those elements that you found to be beneficial through the past year then?
1: So right now, our first in-person program is scheduled for July 30th. It's going to be at the Brookfield Conference Center. It's our day-long symposium, and it's a 9 a.m. till 3.30 p.m. We have a a keynote speaker in the morning. Uh, We usually have an Ask the Doctor section, and then we have breakout sessions. One is very Parkinson-specific, one is care partner-specific, and one is exercise-specific. So we do that in the morning, lunch, and then we do that again in the afternoon, three three different topics. That will be our first in-person program. And then we hope to do some smaller ones through the fall as things continue to open up. The thing I'm most excited about is every program we do will going forward from this day forward will have a virtual component. We will live stream the programs so that if you are unable to join us because you just don't feel comfortable due to COVID, you're unable to because you're not able to drive there or you're just having a bad day. You woke up, your PD's bad, you really can't get going. You can join us virtually and watch those things, and those are all free of charge. So, you know, we 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 subside on um, the donations of our constituents, and it makes all of our programs free. So, you can join us and watch those, um, and then they'll be taped so that you can't make the July 30th symposium because you're not diagnosed till August 30th. Those are there to watch. So, we have uh, if you go to our website, which is wiParkinson.org. We have 25 Ask the Expert videos where we just sat down kind of like what we're doing today and I talked to specific experts on Parkinson's disease and it was everything from estate planning to home care to medications, um, exercises and nutrition. And then we also have programs we did last year virtually that are taped and out there. And then all the programs we did for Recently Diagnosed back in April are out there. Um, And then coming in May, we have uh, three webinars we're gonna do. Uh, We've cleverly called it Mind Mind body, and wallet. Um, We're going to do brain health. We're going to talk about various exercises for Parkinson's disease, and then a state planner, talking about some of the things you need to consider going forward with this diagnosis. Um, I I will backtrack just a second, Brady. As the Wisconsin Parkinson Association, we are a statewide organization. We have no national affiliations, and what that means to the listeners or anybody who comes to our programs When you donate a dollar to the Wisconsin Parkinson Association, a dollar stays for programs and services in Wisconsin. Um, I've been with, I listed the groups I've been with before. You give us a dollar, 40 cents goes to the national office, 10 cents goes over here, and maybe half of it stays in the state. For us, everything stays in the state. And why that was important to us is when we shut down on March 13th, 2020, By March 20th, 2020, we had live Facebook live exercise programs with one of our staff going on three days a week. Uh, We were able to do those Ask the Expert videos almost immediately. We were able to do programs, whereas I know some of the national organizations kept waiting for everything to open up and it was six, eight, nine months later before they were doing anything. Um, So we were able to be very mobile, very active, and we'll continue to do that uh, because our goal is to improve the quality of life for people with Parkinson's disease, provide education, which will improve that quality of life, and then get them those resources. And, and that's what we're here for and that's what we'll continue to do.
0: Awesome, um, I, I that was a lot of information, a lot of good information. Um, if someone's diagnosed with Parkinson's, they're probably gonna obviously get a recommendation to, to seek you guys out, but um, where can those looking for those resources uh, go to? I know you mentioned the website, but is there anywhere else?
1: Yeah, obviously I'll mention the website again. You know Um, wiparkinson.org, then you can call us, 414-312-6990, I've always been told I talk fast, so I'll do it again, 414-312-6990, you can talk to myself, we have a a staff of about five people, so there's myself and Lori, handle most of the information referral calls, so you can always call us with any question, Um, and then once our office opens again, we're located um, just off of Blue Mound Road in Brookfield, across from Marty's Pizza, um, once we're open again, always call ahead and stop in. We're, we're happy to talk to people. Um, right now, we're only working in the office sporadically, um, but that should change as, again, restrictions continue to open. So we're always happy to talk to people. And, and some people like me, you know, I don't like picking up a phone, but I have no problem popping into an office and talking to somebody for a half hour. And, and I'm more than happy to do that. Um, but like I said, always call ahead because if you come to talk to myself or Lori and we're both on the road doing a program, you're going to talk to an empty conference table and that's just not fun. So definitely call ahead. All
0: right. Um, And then is there any other, are you on uh, social at all uh, that patients can check you out on?
1: Um, I'm not, but the WPA is on Facebook. You can always find us on Facebook. Um, And again, I, I would go to Facebook or our website. Our communications director does a great job of updating as things are happening as support groups continue start to meet again Um, And really that is a community by community issue. Um, Each county, their restrictions are a little different. And then where we meet is a little different. A lot of them, a lot of our support groups met at assisted living facilities where they're just not letting people in right now. Um, So on our Facebook page, on our website, we will continue to update that information. Um, And then you can also sign up uh, once a week. Our uh, communications director sends out an email on programs and events that are going on in the area and any other information you may need uh, for Parkinson's disease. So definitely check all those out and uh, stay connected to the best of your ability.
0: And we will make sure to link all of those resources in the show notes. So if you're listening and, and you just scroll down, you can find those resources there. Um, and then did did I miss anything? Is there a component? I think we've had a really good conversation for those uh, suffering with Parkinson's and their caregivers um, and the resources and uh, all the information about how robust the care team is is. And, um, if I missed anything, let me know, but otherwise, thank you to Jeremy for coming on. Thank you, Molly, for, uh, coming on being a resource. Um, and I hope everyone has a wonderful day. This podcast is brought to you by freedom, physical therapy services, providing exceptional one-to-one hands-on care to the greater Milwaukee area for over 25 years. Our physical and occupational therapists prepare custom plans for your condition to relieve pain and improve performance. Allow us to help you enjoy more freedom at freedompt.com.